0: Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly.
1: There had been abuse in my family, but it was mostly musical in nature.
0: This lover's lament crap. I want something peppy, something happy, something uptempo. I want something snappy.
2: Even the best musicians can make bad decisions, but it's the truly
3: bad left turns that drive them off the rails. I'm Jim Dirigatis of Vocalo.org. And I'm Greg Codd of the Chicago Tribune. Stay tuned for our list of artists that have gone off the rails, plus reviews of our new albums by outcast rapper Big Boy and rock singer songwriter Alejandro Escovedo today on Sound Opinions.
2: From WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX, you're listening to Sound Opinions.
3: That is Ozzy Osbourne with Crazy Train, a song about going off the rails. And Jim, whether we like it or not, some of our favorite artists of all time, or at least they once were, have gone off the rails with their own careers. That's what we're going to look at today. When was that moment when that favorite artist of yours, the one you'd put all that stock in, you'd spend all that money on their records, you said Mm -hmm. this is one of the greatest artists of all time, and then all of a sudden they put that record out and you go... What happened? Well, everybody can
2: have a bad day. Some (laughs) artists we love have one bad album. We're talking about what what our TV critic colleagues would call jumping the shark, named after that episode (laughs) of Happy Days when Fonzie uh, (laughs) did the jump over the shark, right? So these are artists that were great and now are abysmally awful. Exactly. You're going to kick us off, Jim. What are you going to start with? i got to start with what a lot of rock critics say is the single most significant betrayal of one's talent in music history. I'm thinking of Grill Marcus and two of my favorite critics, Lester Bangs and Paul Nelson, wrote a book on this artist Mm -hmm. in 1980, Rod Stewart. 1980, they were saying Rod Stewart was one of the greatest talents who'd ever stepped on a rock and roll stage and had so thoroughly betrayed it he would never come back. There have now been, obviously, (laughs) 30 more years of Rod Stewart really falling to hell. And if they thought it was bad in 80, it's like amazing. What would they think of Rod Stewart now? Let's pause and remember Stewart when Stewart was great. He was the voice of the Jeff Beck band early on. He was in the Faces, the single greatest R&B pub rock band in 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 British music history. And then a really wonderful solo career. He was a great white soul singer who could capture a certain schoolboy nostalgia melancholy wistfulness like no one else really i mean stewart could make you cry i'm thinking about a song like maggie may or this one mm-hmm. from 1972 you wear it well
4: i had nothing to do on this hot afternoon but to settle it-
2: Song so much, I wish we could listen to the whole thing. Hmm. Rod Stewart singing "You Wear It Well." I will defend Rod Stewart up through "Footloose" and "Fancy Free," and even "Do You Think I'm Sexy?" As a one-off foray into disco would have been okay. It's not like he became a pop panderer exclusively after do you think i'm sexy he decided he wanted to be wayne newton i mean he's releasing albums where he's singing broadway standards he did that horrible song with sting and brian adams for the three musketeers movie (laughs) he's like cheesier than celine dion and he used to be rod stewart If you think I am exaggerating, listen to his version of the Gershwin, great, timeless song, Embraceable You. This is from a really horrible album he put out called Stardust, The Great American Songbook, Volume 3 on Sound Opinions.
4: Dozens of girls would storm up. I had to lock my door. Somehow I couldn't warm up to one before was it that controlled me? What kept my love life lean? My intuition told me you'll come on the scene. Lady, listen to the rhythm of my heartbeat. And you'll get just what I mean.
2: There is Rod Stewart, my first candidate for a career truly gone off
3: the rails. What have you got? (laughs) I tell you, Jim, this next one breaks my heart. It's Lauryn Hill. What a marvelous artist. And I still hold out hope that someday we will see another great Lauryn Hill record. But as the years go by, I think that becomes less and less possible. Recall, if you will, that we were talking about the lead voice of one of the great hip-hop groups of the 90s with the Fugees, a group she co-founded with Wycliffe Jean. They had a kind of a messy breakup in the middle of that group's career. She went on to make a solo album that even trumped what the Fugees did. The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill came out in 1998, went on to sell 18 million copies. That rare feat, a commercially... Huge record that was also critically acclaimed. Not only did it win five Grammy Awards, but it was also number two in the, at that time, very prestigious Village Voice Paz and Job poll. She follows that up years later, comes out with MTV Unplugged 2.0 in 2002. And you listen to that record and you go, what happened to Lauren Hill? Mm. This was a performance that she filmed. Basically, it was just her voice and an acoustic guitar singing what amounted to what she called songs, 12 songs, but really more like fragments or demos, most of which should never have been exposed to the public. <laughs> Even more heartbreaking, nine monologues breaking up these songs that she chose to include on this double disc record some of the monologues were actually longer than the songs in it she described some of the turmoil in her life it was heartbreaking to listen to and at the same time you wonder how come her management etc her record company allowed her to even put this stuff out You feel like maybe they could have protected her a little bit more, said, hey, Lauren, maybe some of these songs need some more work. No, we ended up having to endure songs like this one, Freedom Time, from the 2002 MTV Unplugged 2.0 record.
4: There's a war in the mind over territory for the Dominion. Who will dominate the opinions, schisms and isms, keeping us in forms of religion, conforming our vision to the world church's decision, trapped in a section, submitted to committee election, moral infection, epidemic lies and deception, insurrection, of the highest possible order, distort, and I take recorders from hearing like underwater, beyond the borders, find a sin and disorder, bound by the strategy of systemic depravity, heavy as gravity, head first in the cavity, without a bottom, a fate, worse than Sodom.
2: That is Lauren Hill from 2002. You're right, Greg. It is painful just to listen to it. Although an enduring argument you and I have had, I never thought the miseducation of Lauren Hill, the alleged masterpiece, was as great as you did.
3: Oh, I, I still love that record, and I could still listen to it. It was, a, it was a huge album in my household. My young daughters growing up, you know, listening to that album together, I think it has a real place in my heart for that reason. But as we found with these artists, Jim, the longer they wait to make the comeback, quote-unquote, the more difficult it becomes. And I'm not sure we'll ever see another album from Lauren Hill, let alone a great album. You know, one of the things you and I rail against as critics is nostalgia.
2: And that argument that people throw in your face, you really had to be there. You know, and, and I think great music endures on recordings and in films. Regardless, you know, you didn't have to be at Woodstock to realize that a lot of the music was kind of overrated. It was muddy mess, right? Mm-hmm. I think you listen to this band at its best that I'm going to talk about next, and and the power remains. However, you listen to this band in the relatively recent past, and it's really something. Here is Anarchy in the UK from 1996 when the Sex Pistols reunited for a much-ballyhooed reunion tour and put out a live album called Filthy Lucre Live. (laughs) All right, here's the Sex Pistols in relatively recent past. Uh, You hear a kind of competent oldies act replaying some hits, kind of like when The Seeds or or (laughs) The Birds or whatever play today and not all the real members are there and they're playing the songs. But it it really could be any bar band in America playing those songs, Mm -hmm. right? The Sex Pistols in 1976 were frightening. They were scary. You watch the documentary footage of that band. Johnny Rotten, John Lydon, the lead singer, was Intense, You know, there was a power. There was a fury. Yes, there was also a bit of cartoonish exaggeration. They were not literally calling for riots in the streets of London in anarchy in the U.K., but they were talking about an entire generation's frustrations with the politics, the economy, the state of the world, and it was a defiant... Brave scream of frustration the power remains on Never Mind the Bullocks the 1976 album I think one of the greatest albums in rock history it should have been the only thing they ever did mm-hmm. you know the band imploded not long after the record was released and they should have left it at that remember what we just heard that version of Anarchy in the UK and now listen to this one <laughs>
3: Anarchy in the U.K. from the Sex Pistols from
2: 1976. And remember last year, Greg, when we saw that story where John Lydon was doing commercials for butter at home (laughs) in the U.K.?
3: How did it come to that? Yeah, how did that guy become that guy? Yes. You wonder. You wonder sometimes. That's the epitome of off-the-rails. Well, in a nutshell, that's what happened to this guy. talking about Chris Cornell of Soundgarden. He's my next off-the-rails artist. Soundgarden, a defining band of that late 80s seattle scene before seattle was seattle on the map with nirvana and pearl jam and Mudhoney and all these great bands there was a nascent scene there of which soundgarden was one of the pioneers they put out one of the first singles on the sub-pop label in uh, the late 80s 1987 went on to put out a few independent records, signed to a major label, were one of the key bands for that alternative rock era of the early 90s. Soundgarden, you know, you think about Soundgarden, you think about early 90s. You think about Nirvana and Pearl Jam, but also Smashing Pumpkins, Nine Inch Nails, all these key bands from that era. It's interesting, I had a conversation with Billy Corgan about this years ago, and he said, you know, we kind of screwed it up. We had a chance to own the world there for a while, and all of those bands somehow went south. What happened to that generation of bands? To my mind, Soundgarden was one of the bands that sort of betrayed it worst of all. I mean, not the band itself, but Chris Cornell in particular, the lead singer. He was in many ways the, the most powerful voice in that Seattle scene. With Kim Thiel, they made some great music. That super unknown record in 1994. I mean, songs like Black Hole Sun, Fell on Black Days, The Day I Tried to Live, I mean, these were great songs from that era. What's Chris Cornell decides, hey, I'm going to be this crooner. He forms this band, Audio Slave, with three members of Rage Against the Machine. Here's a band that specialized in rap rock, kind of a swinging vibe. Chris Cornell was ill-suited to groove. The, The man was there to scream over heavy metal guitar chords. But, you know, lo and behold, his solo career brought out his worst tendencies. We mocked mercilessly the album that he put out last year with Timbaland as a producer called Scream. But I think... Where he really went off the rails was when he did an acoustic cover of Michael Jackson's Billie Jean a couple years earlier.
5: She was more like a beauty queen from a movie screen Said, don't mind, but what do you mean? I am the one who would dance on the floor and around She says, I am the one who would dance on the floor and around? She said her name was Billie Jean, and she caused the scene. And every head turned with eyes that dream.
3: So there's Chris Cornell doing his best Michael Bolton imitation on a cover of Billie Jean by Michael Jackson. This is the best way I can describe that. I don't know how
2: anybody can listen to that and think that the
3: Soundgarden reunion this summer (laughs) is going to be any good. I don't know, but I've lost interest big time in what Chris Cornell does from now on after that song. Coming up next on Sound Opinions, we're going to continue with some of the worst left turns in rock, and later we're going to give a buy it, burn it, trash rating to new records by rapper Big Boy and veteran rocker Alejandro Escovedo. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago, distributed by PRX.
0: Yeah, there's not my son.
5: Forty days and forty nights, the law was on her side. Who could stand when she's in demand? Her schemes and her plans. Cause we danced on the floor and So take my strong advice. Remember to always think twice Do think twice She told my baby that we danced till three She looked at me Showed a photo of my baby When you're not here
2: Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis of Vocalo.org. My partner is Greg Tott of the Chicago Tribune, but you can send hate mail to us here at Sound Opinions because uh, we're not doing this with with spite, Greg, but we are looking at great rock careers that somehow went very, very wrong, went off the rails. Mm -hmm. That is a song by Ice Cube. I think one of the most powerful voices that hip-hop ever produced. That tune bop gun is not him at his best it's from the lethal injection album in 1993 it fails massively despite having parliament funkadelic samples in there i mean how do you go wrong with clinton samples at the base you go wrong because ice cube's heart wasn't in it he's doing this kind of you know hip pop kind of thing after being one of the most fiery and revolutionary voices in the history of this genre You know, debuted with N.W.A., straight out of Compton, Mm -hmm. where he was predicting the turmoil that would ensue after the Rodney King verdict. He was predicting those riots in the streets years before they happened. It was political. It was incendiary. It was very exciting. Then he left N.W.A. N.W.A., not very good after Ice Cube's departure. Ice Cube comes out strong early on as a great solo artist. I played as a Desert Island jukebox pick once, something from America's Most Wanted, that 1990 debut. And he was pretty good, I think, on the first three albums, up through 92's "The Predator," and then I think he stopped caring. He started getting these Hollywood offers, mm-hmm, yeah. you know, pretty credible, gritty films at first. and now he's like this family comedy star. How did Ice Cube, one of the scariest men ever on the pop scene, become this comedy star? Here's how I want to remember him. Here's the title track to America's Most Wanted.": Ice) Cube with the Licks, That is Ice Cube with America's Most Wanted from
3: 1990. He has a new album coming out. Uh, apparently in a month or two, Greg, I'm not looking forward to it. There's something to be said, Jim. Once these hip-hop artists, especially it seems, start their film or TV career, something happens. They lose a little bit of their street edge, maybe. You're right. You know, Ice Cube, Ice T, but you know, even Common, it hasn't quite been the same since he started doing the film role. is Death, you know, was one of the yeah. leading edge artists. Now he hasn't been quite the same. Tone Loke. Yeah, there you go. Tone Loke, the great Tone Loke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, off the rails... When we first talked about the concept for this show, the first artist that popped into my head, and I have long said this, is Eric Clapton. Everything he did in the 60s was worth hearing and holds up pretty well. Look at this resume. Yardbirds, John Mayall's Blues Breakers, Cream, Blind Faith, Derek and the Dominoes. The stuff he did with Mayall is perhaps the least heard of all of that, and I think it's some of the very best blues rock guitar work ever. I mean, that's the stuff that defined that sort of Clapton is God graffiti that was all over the walls of London in the mid-60s. The guy was a great guitar player steeped in that Chicago blues sound. He was a disciple of people like Buddy Guy and Magic Sam and Otis Rush, and you could tell he was hearing that and channeling it into his own style. He defined a sound. (laughs) ¶¶
5: Never knew what I was
3: missing Then something happened. The way I look at it, lethal combination of too much fame, too much heroin, and too much J.J. Kale. It was like, <laughs> you start, you know, nothing wrong with J.J. Kale. I think he's a great guitar player in his own right. But that mellow shuffle just took over Clapton's career. And you can hear it in everything from Lay Down Sally to that awful, awful remake of Layla on the 1992 Unplug record.
0: For oh, one waiting by your side. You've been run, I've urged you You.
3: What happened to this guy? You After know, talk... midnight. That's always oh, the worst. You know, yeah. talk about the fire being taken out of the guy. And one thing I've always contended is Clapton is only as good as the musicians around him. When you think about those great bands he was in, he was surrounded by people who could really push him, whether it was Steve Winwood and Blind Faith or Dwayne Allman and Derek and the Dominoes when they made that great record in the studio, Jack Bruce, Ginger Baker and Cream. I mean, these were superb musicians who would not allow Clapton to coast. But as he got surrounded by these studio pros who kind of indulged him... His version of the blues became more genteel over the years and just didn't want to go into that place that he was in the 60s in terms of just facing up to that legend. I want to be like Robert Johnson. I want to chase that ghost. Listen to this late career record that he made, Me and Mr. Johnson. Robert Johnson, right? His hero. Here is how he pays homage to his hero This version of love in Vain epitomizes everything that's been wrong about Eric Clapton in the last few decades
0: well, I her to the station put a suitcase in my hand. Tell, all your in vain. All
3: my in vain. Love in Vain on Sound Opinions from Eric Clapton. If you want to hear that song with some real heart and soul, go back to the original by Robert Johnson, or even go seek out the Rolling Stones version of that song, but, but Clapton just not delivering the goods as he has not for the last few decades. Greg, uh, the final
2: artist I'm going to talk about regarding going off the rails is one that you and I covered from day one. Mm. I I do believe you and I were at one of the first... Performances she ever gave at the late lamented tiny lounge acts, right, and there's a certain excitement I think the critics have, like if you saw Clapton with mail, you know you're you're invested, you want this artist to succeed, and then they become bigger and bigger, and it really hurts especially deeply to say this artist has completely lost the plot and is now nothing like what I first liked i 'm talking about Liz Fair. We were fans of the girly sound cassette that preceded Exile in Guyville, and it was an exciting moment in the 90s when she really gave voice, it seemed, to Generation X female perspective. She was sexy, but she was empowered. It was everything we wanted to hear from a great female rock voice. It was gritty, it was real, and it was right down the block in Wicker Park. Here's Six Foot One, the opening salvo from Exile in Guyville, which she said is an answer to Exile on Main Street by the Rolling Stones. Take that. Greg, I wasn't that quick hopping on the Liz Fair Express. I was a little skeptical about the conceit that Exile in Guyville was an answer record to Exile on Main Street. I really liked Whip Smart and White Chocolate Space Egg, the two albums that followed, which didn't have any of the pretension behind it. They were just collections of great pop songs. But something happened. You know, at some point, Liz Fair left Chicago and moved to Hollywood. And she went Hollywood more than geographically. She suddenly wants to be Sheryl Crow. She's singing these sunshiny pop songs. She is overproduced in the way that Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears albums are overproduced. She's trying to be gritty and vulgar from time to time, but that doesn't work when you sound like Jewel all of a sudden (laughs) on your records. And it just got worse and worse. Listen to this. Wind and the Mountain from Somebody's Miracle in 2005.
3: no doubt that Liz Fair has gone off the rails Jim I mean she's just put out a record on her own website called Fun Style and it confirms everything you just said basically I said, well,
2: what is that Bollywood tribute is she making fun of MIA or is she trying to do Bollywood it's bad as a joke it's bad as music it's just bad yeah
6: Tripping, looking at my portfolio, wondering how I was gonna make enough dough. You know, caught up a friend who wrote for One Hill in Jericho. He had a job for me—a check with the four-letter company. Give it yeah, how about you let me keep my a score? shrinking, I'm getting I got kid How about you cut a
3: deal with me? Last but not least for me, Jim, another great example of a band that I loved, loved, loved in the eighties and has since been following up one disappointment after another. This is how not to conduct a career, both in and out of the studio. And I'm talking about Metallica. Oh. Here's a band that defined or redefined heavy metal in the 80s and one of the things i liked about them not only the just amazing dexterity and speed and violence of those early records this first four in particular but the fact that they didn't come on with these fantasy dungeons and dragons kind of vibe you know they, they weren't wearing the leather they were just they look like street kids yeah playing this really hard-edged music it had as much in common with punk and motorhead as it did with the British heavy metal scene, which they were very influenced by as well. said those first four records impeccable things started to get a little dicey with that self-titled black album the biggest seller of their career ironically enough in the early 90s and then things really got bad okay a lot of their hardcore fans complained oh they cut their hair they want to be alternative rock but what i was hearing the music started to get really soft and really dicey two words explaining what happened to metallica ballads and boogie this band should never boogie It just went completely opposite of what they were all about. That speed, that intensity went away, especially with those two albums in the mid-late 90s, Load and Reload. Name me any Metallica fan that actually listens to those records anymore, you know? Followed up by an album done with a symphony orchestra? Come on, (laughs) guys. What's going on? You talk about big and bloated and, and irrelevant. Then they sued their fans over the Napster fiasco. They made that documentary, uh, some kind of monster just an unbelievable documentary showing this band falling apart at the seams, hiring this $40,000 a week performance coach to help them talk to each other in the studio. I mean, they looked like big babies. I would argue the last couple of records they sort of recovered a little bit. They started getting back to the sound that they should have been playing all along, but it was too late. Bands like Slayer and Megadeth kept it up. They never lost touch with what made them great in the early 80s. Metallica did big time. And you can hear it on this song from Load, The House That Jack Built on Sound Opinions from Metallica.
2: There you have it, Metallica, our last choice for this show. But why don't you tell us what artists you think have gone off the rails? Leave a message and we'll play it on the air, 888 859 1800. We'll be back after a short break on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX with reviews of two new albums by Big Boy and Alejandro Escobedo.
7: On the Gucci with the fly, super fly. Wow.
2: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. That is a song called Shutterbug from the first proper solo album by Big Boy. Greg, I'm going to say the full title only once. A heck of a title it is. Sir Lucius Leftfoot, the son of Chico Dusty a lot of excitement about this record Antoine Patton, aka Big Boy is half of the multi-platinum selling hip-hop duo Outkast which also happens to be one of the most inventive teams in the history of hip-hop they sold a lot of records and they broke a lot of ground those are two things that you don't often see happen the shorthand I think from people outside looking into the group is that Patton's partner Andre 3000 Benjamin He is the wiggy, psychedelic, over-the-top guy. He, of course, wrote Hey Ya, the mega hit that turned everybody's head, where Antoine uh, Patton, big boy, is the kind of more down-to-earth, rapper i think that that's an easy reduction i think that there was plenty of weirdness on speakerbox which was big boys half of the uh, 2003 double release speakerbox the love below i think that they worked very closely on everything they had done before and they both went off the cliff in a way in 2006 with Idlewild, where they were trying to do this kind of broadway musical on film and as an album People have been hungry for new OutKast music for the last five years. We haven't heard anything from Andre 3000, really. Big Boy spent four or five years working on a solo album. Again, Speakerbox Love Below, they each took one album and came out together in 2003. Big Boy spent four or five years working on this proper solo debut, and Jive Records, outcast label, kept saying to him, we don't hear any hits. I mean, what audacity. They've sold, you know, millions of albums. At one point, they actually said to him, why don't you cover Little Wayne's Lollipop? I think it would be a good addition to this album. He finally broke free of Jive. This is coming out on his own label, Purple Ribbon, distributed by Def Jam. But as punishment, they wouldn't let him use any of the tracks that featured the voice of his partner, Andre 3000. He's given a lot of interviews complaining about this. I grew up with this guy. I've made music with him my whole life, and now some record company tells me I can't put him on this album? He was floating tracks on the net. There were a couple of official single releases. Now the proper thing is finally here. We're gonna play a track from it and come back and give our opinions. This is a song called "Tangerine" by Big Boy on Sound Opinions.
7: Yeah, yeah. She said her name was Tangerine. Damn the American dream. you all about a bottle of cream. we like a tambourine. We're like a, shake it like a tamarind, shake it like a tamarind, like a tambourine. said her name was Billy Jean. Said she want to show me things. I pulled out a stack of cream like a tamarind, shake it like a tamarind, shake it like a tamarind. They said it's great. B.I.G. don't cover okay cake. I put her on a plate until she's no longer awake. They just lay past asleep when I hit them with a the snake. Put that venom up in them until I leave them with the shakes on display. She's a model, but she only models shoes. Not fake like a prosthetic leg. A prostitute. I should choose. She just whispers in my ear. I'm, I'm the type of dude that sends your baby mama out for food. And I also like her throat action with a passion. Love in her mouth for dental satisfaction. That means I hit the head like Greg Luganis, then I'm splashing. Bust one back in the lack stack. She knows what's happening, There's no reason to doubt it. If you ask her how I got it, she say How he had went about it was. And then you wake up from a bad dream, a nightmare. Settle down, cause she right there. She said her name was Tangerine. Damn the American dream. See y'all about a bottle of cream. Shaking like a tambourine. Shaking like a tambourine. Shaking like a tambourine. Shaking like a tambourine. She said her name was Billy Jean. Said she wanna show me things. I pulled out a stack of green. Shaking like a tambourine.
3: Pangerine from Big Boy's debut solo record, Sir Lucius Leftfoot, the son of Chico Dusty. Yes, that is a mouthful. You know, you'd expect nothing less from a member of Outkast. They make dense, alliterative records. I mean, they are—they are not small of an ambition. I do miss though Andre 3000 not being more involved in this record. Clearly, Big Boy wanted him more involved clearly because of the record company squabbles he couldn't be the one track he is allowed to produce you ain't no dj one of the best tracks on the record the best track perhaps of them all got left off the record entirely it's called looking for you you can find it on the net great collaboration these two guys belong together they make their best music when they are working off of each other that said Big Boy handles his half of the equation pretty well. I mean, he, he's sort of the party guy in the group. He's the guy that's making the, the music for the club. This is a very ambitious club record. You're not going to hear beats like this from your average club-based hip-hop MC. I don't think anybody in the club world has ever sampled Sir George
2: Schulte <laughs> conducting an opera. Yeah!
7: yeah
3: there's some really oddball touches on this musically and and big boy just sounds like the coolest guy in the room whenever he's rapping he's not talking about much more than sex on this record but he does it in such a swab that georgia twang is working he's got about four or five different voices that he's using on this record the rhymes spill out of him like he's breathing it it makes it sound so easy and so effortless so it's not a hugely groundbreaking record for big boy but as one half of outcast this is a good half of an outcast record i'm waiting for these guys to get back together again for what it is though i'm going to give it a buy it yeah, I'll I'll concur, Greg. This is a buy it record. It's a lot better than I,
2: I feared it would be after all the torture that went into making it. This is like a great Parliament Funkadelic record. Mm. It's all over the place. It's hitting on all these different genres. It's very ambitious. It does fall short with the lyrical concept. You know, some of what he's doing is is rather vulgar and just juvenile. And and other times it's it's kind of incomprehensible. <laughs> it's listening to some weirdo stoner talk about aliens, basically. When you compare it to a member of their Atlanta posse, Janelle Monae's recent debut, the Arc Android, or the Drake record, or the Roots record. I mean, we are seeing a kind of resurgence, I think, in alternative hip-hop, a phrase that every rapper hates, but we're seeing a lot of musical invention, a lot of experimentation, and a lot of uh, high-concept work being brought in. It's not just talking about money and women. If he would tried a little harder, it would have been a spectacular record. It's still a buy-it, though. I agree with you.
3: on Sound Opinions from Alejandro Escovedo. The new album's called Street Songs of Love. Escovedo, a long history in music, beginning in the 70s, one of the very first West Coast punk bands. His band, The Nuns, opened the Sex Pistols' final show in uh, San Francisco in January of 78. He went on to uh, be a part of two well-regarded, if not highly commercially successful, Bands, Rank and File, one of the cowpunk bands of the early 80s, and then the True Believers. Started a solo career in the early 90s, has been making records steadily since then, and has picked up a number of major fans over the years uh, because he brings together so many styles of music so effortlessly, combining that glam and punk uh, past with the singer songwriter sensibility that he picked up once he moved to Austin, Texas, where he's been a long time resident. His fans include Ian Hunter of Mott the Hoople. In the last few years, he's picked up Bruce Springsteen's management team. Springsteen himself has appeared with Escovedo on stage and now in the studio on this new record. In a lot of ways, Escovedo has never had a higher profile than he does now. He's in the studio with Tony Visconti for the second album in a row, He uh, put out a record in 2008 that really put him on the mainstream map for the first time, Real Animal, and now he's back with another collaboration with Visconti, best known for his work with David Bowie and T-Rex in the 70s, for a record called Street Songs of Love. Here's a track from it, This Bed is Getting Crowded, on Sound Opinions.
0: This bed is getting crowded Why?
2: This bed is getting crowded by Alejandro Escovedo from his new album, Street Songs of Love. Greg, I am a fan of Alejandro. No two ways about it. And I think he's been really extraordinary since that bout with Hepatitis C, which nearly claimed his life in the early 2000s. He came back, he made one record with John Cale, The Boxing Mirror, dark and drony, wonderful, came back after that and made Real Animal with Tony Visconti which was autobiographical him going through his early days in different bands on the punk scene you know I don't know if the idea is strong enough on Street Songs of Love I am gonna give you a whole album 12 tracks plus one instrumental of love songs from a different perspective. Sometimes he really hits it out of the park. I I love that song, Fall Apart With You. We know that nothing ever lasts, so we cry when we hear Johnny Cash. Mm -hmm. That's a nice little insight into into a relationship. At other times, he ain't saying nothing about nothing. That song, Faith, where where Bruce Springsteen drops by to do his kind of preacher shtick about the power of love (laughs) is just dreadful. But I'm not going to blame Alejandro for Springsteen. I just feel like I've heard this before. It's not Alejandro at his absolute best, so on the buy it, burn it, trash it scale, i got to say it's just a burn it.
3: You know, I, I was kind of on the fence on this record, too, because Escovedo is such a sharp lyricist that you're perhaps a little bit let down by the fact that he's writing love songs. Okay, Alejandro, what new can you bring to this genre? And at first you're thinking, well, he's not really saying much new at all. But the more I listened to this record, the more I liked it. A couple of things that really struck out. First of all, It's really the first album in a long time where it's just him with a really stripped-down rock combo in the studio. Even Real Animal was kind of more elaborated with those orchestrations. You know, he loves to work with strings and additional instruments to sort of flesh out the sound, give it more of an orchestral feel. This is very much a garage rock record all the way through, and I think they really stuck to that concept. I think Visconti sort of captured some of the power of that band as a live entity in the studio really well. Uh there's some moments on this record where you just feel like the energy is really picking up and it's about that vibe coming out of those speakers. And then that closing instrumental really gets me every time. Fort Worth Blue, I think it just sort of brings the album to a close and really gives it a sense of closure that I, I love. Again, not the best Escovedo work, especially lyrically, but musically he's in a terrific place right now. Very few artists you can say in their late 50s making some of the best music of their career. And I think Escovedo's done it again. I think this is a buy it album all the way from me. A buy it from you, a burn it from me. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we talk to Steven Street, especially on his work with the Morrissey and the Smiths in the 80s and Blur in the 90s.
2: As always, Craig, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. On our team, Jason Saldana is sort of the big boy and Robin Lynn is the Andre 3000. <laughs> Whereas Tori Southside Malatia, our executive producer and fearless leader. Well, we just have to say thanks that he doesn't think we've run off the rails yet. In sound opinions, everyone's a critic, so now it's time to hear what you have to say.
4: If you don't ways, my friend, be words with New messages.
1: Hey guys, this is Zach in Chicago. I wanted to thank you for the Rock Listeners Guided Country. As a rock listener, I was drawn to country through bands like Jason the Scorchers and Rank and File, and I appreciate the effort to look at country beyond the easy cliches. I'm not really sure how many of the examples given are going to persuade rock listeners to pick up, quote-unquote, country record, let alone convert them. The comparison of Shania Twain and Patsy Klein is logical, but since we're selling one genre to a listener who... We're assuming doesn't even like the basic aesthetics of commercial country. Maybe storytelling and lyricism would make a much better talking point. On another point, I have to agree with your guess that Vince Gill is the best known, most overlooked badass on guitar of any genre. Thanks. Hey guys, it's Jeff from Olive Branch, Mississippi, just outside of Memphis. Just finished listening to the Rock Fans Guide to Country Music, and I had to express a bit of astonishment at the selections of your guest journalist, Faith Hill, really? I live in Mississippi, and despite your critics' protestations, that is not an authentic accent. I can't believe you went a whole episode in this subject without even mentioning the name of Graham Parsons. I realize he was a hipster and something of an outsider, but his solo albums, GP and Return of the Grievous Angel, stand right on the short list along with Abbey Road, Daydream Nation, and The Soft Bulletin of albums that will never ever leave my iPod.
3: We flew
0: straight across that river bridge last night at past two. Switchman waved his lantern goodbye today as we went rolling through.
4: Billboards and truck stops passed by the grievous Angel Now I know just what I have to do.
0: Pick it for me, James.
3: If you're a rock fan who wants to find an appreciation for country, there's no better place to start than with Graham Parsons. Thanks, guys.
1: Hi, this is Dan from Worcester, Massachusetts. I just listened to your interview with Chrissy Dickinson about country music, and it did nothing to convince me that country is worth listening to. I'm a fan of Toto rock, country luminaries like Johnny Cash, but when Ms. Dickinson made that comment about not liking the irony or the sarcasticness that was in alt-country, it completely turned me off. That's why I don't like country music, because it's so on the nose, and I wouldn't mind sincerity if what they had to say was good, but what they had to say isn't. What they had to say is, Toby Keith, an ugly American, and boot up your ass. And when anyone deviates from that, i.e. the Dixie Chicks, they were excommunicated from the country world. So maybe sincerity isn't the best option, and I'll probably never listen to country for that reason. Thanks. Bye.
3: Uh, Hi, guys. Uh, This is uh, Wilbur in East Brunswick, New Jersey. I just heard the episode on Thriller, and I thought I'd share one example of how Michael Jackson is an artist that
2: transcends time. Uh, I'm a pediatric oncologist, and every summer I've been spending a week volunteering as a camp doctor for the Hole in the Wall Gang camp, which is a camp for kids with blood diseases and cancer. Stage night this year had not one, not two, but four separate acts where kids from the U.S., Germany, Italy, and Ecuador decided to get together and dance to songs from Thriller. And each act had kids from other countries mixed in with the kids from the U.S. I think that if kids from around the world, the oldest of which would have been born 12 years after Thriller was released, can find commonality in this album, that has to attest to the timelessness of Michael Jackson's music. Keep up great work and uh, thanks a lot.
1: No more messages.